welcome to Curious EMU, where we talk inspiring stories, ideas, and concepts to help you create a lifestyle true to yourself. Hello and welcome to episode 21. My name is Freddie Saliba. How has your week been, guys? What have you been thinking about the podcast? Let me know. Love to hear from you, whether it's through Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Check the links in the description or just search Curious Emu. So today I'm talking with an artist who focuses and advocates on plastic waste. I just wanted to give you a heads up. My mic played up, so unfortunately I had to use a shitty mic and I get a little bit of echoes on my end. But if you can bear through that, this is an amazing interview on a really important topic. So let's jump into it, shall we? Please welcome Caroline Cardinet, a lifetime artist who took elective art classes in primary school. Her work has taken many forms, but it all took a turn when she realized her local beach that she'd been walking down regularly for 25 years had rapidly increased waste. And now she creates artwork out of plastic waste and has become a big environmental and sustainability activist. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Fred. Looking forward to it. I wanted to start that where all the passion of artwork came from. I think it's probably looking back at it. We're living in, a, in an apartment with my parents and there was a lot of artwork in the apartment which my father painted. He actually uh, reproduced a painting from the famous Impressionist just to put pictures up in the long corridor that was a bit bare. And it probably came from that, not that I'm aware of it, but it probably was in my subconscious. And then my mother took us to a lot of exhibition and anything arty. So I think that nourished certainly that envy of reproducing. And probably when I was seven, someone, I drew a horse probably terrible horse, but someone said to me, oh, this is really good. <laughs> and I took his word and here I am. <laughs> well, it would be amazing if you were able to see that horse. <laughs> Still, yes, but... I know. I think I've got actually a picture in my mind and it's pretty clumsy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> always the first ones. But... <laughs> do you think because you grew up in Paris, do you think that might have had a bit of effect as well? They say Paris is a big artistic city. Absolutely. And you, when you live in it, you don't, you're not aware of how much art there is around. But again, looking back, you go, oh my God, this is every corner. There's so many museums. And as I said, I was going often to see exhibitions and that certainly nourished it. And then at school, I took on the art section and till I finished school and went to graphic art school. So, yeah, you did that in Paris. Did you end up working straight away in the art industry? or? No, I actually hated the graphism after I finished school because it was prior to uh, computers and that was eyes training to be able to do all those lines and pretend catalogues just by hand. So I decided not to to ever work in graphism as soon as I finished my study. So this brought me to not stop art, but stop the graphism and went into fashion just for summer jobs with Givenchy and Christian Dior, working the 
press area. This brought me years later to work with Pierre Cardin as a salesperson for the haute couture, made to measure. And I worked there for three, four years. And then it decided it was time for me to move on. And I had the amazing experience of coming to Australia, not by choice, but by simply on the world map. What was on the other side of the world was Australia. And my sister had been here a few times. I'd seen photos of the beach mainly and uh, loved it. And I thought it was a country where I could visit, stay a bit, and where they spoke English. So that was my um, my train of thoughts uh, and came here and basically fell in love with the country as soon as I landed in, uh, in Perth in 1987. And that's where basically for me Australia was put on the map as well. Like I haven't hardly heard about Australia before my sister just spoke about it, basically. I had no idea what it looked like. I was happy it was civilized, very civilized. <laughs> Started my trip in Perth, then went to Sydney and traveled basically around the coast and stayed a bit longer and started to go back into art. When I lived in Townsville for about three years, so I went back into painting and selling on markets, uh, local markets, beautiful painting. And from then on, my confidence grew. And uh, what did I do? Oh, I came to live in Melbourne. That's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was 91. I arrived here with a job with Guerlain, a cosmetic company in Maya. And obviously, makeup wasn't my thing. So I went back to fashion, work with Karen Merkel, a fashion designer in Chapel Street, and then was coached to work for Prime Casino. It was brand new. And work full-time there until I had my second child and then it was time to move on as well and decided that I wanted to go back to art which was always my love and from then on so from 1998 I actually uh, yeah that's what I'm trying to think which is 97 (laughs) now so 97 so 98 I went back to study with Peter Churcher the artist. Then I went to VU, Victoria University of Technology, and studied a diploma of visual art. Led me to RMIT, master's degree of art. And then when I came out, I had already shifted to becoming. So I transitioned from being a painter. So sorry, it was a realistic painter to an abstract painter to the being passionate about what I found on the beach and how come it came on the beach, which was all the plastic debris, and mainly the same size too, which I noticed was very weird. It was small plastic lids, like water bottle lids, or bigger ones like spray paint lids. And that really was intriguing, and I started researching that and how come those things could go through to the ocean. And that's what led on my career for about 10 years now in being an advocate to climate change and specifically onto plastic consumerism, which I represent in my art with large installation art made out of found plastic objects, either black or other white. So I think that's where the influence of the graphic art came into my work yeah. <laughs> because it's very parallel, it's very, you know, it's very constructed and very black and white, <laughs> all white. I say that there's never anything that's lost Absolutely. With the yeah, graphic yeah, yeah. that comes back in. Yeah, exactly. It's funny because I worked in haute couture, which is quite colourful, and still can't use colour in my work. It's very hard for me to bring colour in 
it, it was electricity installation. And if you look behind me, there's one of our paintings, and it's pretty, you know, not that colorful. <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> muted, muted colors, yeah. you know. So do you now, not just the bottle caps and things, do you use pretty much all plastics? Yes, exactly. So basically whatever one uses in their daily lives at home, so you can think of milk bottles or milk caps, water, takeaway coffee cups, I mean the lid, sorry, the plastic lid, cutlery, packaging, yogurt pots, all those things are part of uh, my um, collecting, my everyday collecting. So ev- wherever I go, I pick up things, including rubbish bins on Sunday, uh, <laughs> local rubbish bins, if I need materials to teach. And I teach with colorful plastics because I think that's more relevant to children. But as far as art making, I prefer to use a clear or white plastic. Is the weaving when you get like the long, long bits of plastic and it's like, I guess you're weaving as I'm saying it out, it sounds really <laughs> stupid to ask. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. So what I use, these ones you've seen, they're mainly plastic bottles, milk cartons, the two little ones that I actually cut by hand and create a streamer, if you like. Uh, or a tentacle, or it's, uh, you can think of it as like an orange peel. So, you know, when you cut the orange peel in a circle, you get that long stream that's a bit bouncy. What well, that's what I create. And I, depending how you cut the bottle, you create different effects. So the, a bottle can become two to 3.5 meter long, depending how thin are the tentacles. So, for example, one of my work was, I cut 1,250 bottles, which were hanging in lawn years ago, and it was hanging from five trees. So each tree on their limbs had 250 strands of plastic hanging, and the children and people could walk through. So it was like five big curtains. And the beauty of plastic, which I I love in a way, I mean, it's a test, but at the same time, it's an amazing material that lasts for a long time, first of all, like, you know, it it can avert just. 450 years if it hasn't been in the sun or in the sea. So if I would pick up, for example, use my bottles I use at home and then cut them, that could last for 450 years. The sunlight comes through and on that opacity and it looks beautiful. It's just radiant. If the sunlight goes through transparent plastic, then it becomes diamonds, reflects like diamonds. So it is actually a beautiful material. So what it brings in a way is that brings the viewer closer to the work to inspect it because they are amazed, if I may say, by the beauty of it as a big piece. And then they come closer and then they realize that it is plastic rubbish, basically. And then suddenly they become aware of, wow, this is probably how much I've used this week or this month or this year. And for example, those plastic bottles in lawn was the overall use of milk bottles for a whole year for a family of, of six people. You can imagine how much it would fill up the house <laughs> with the plastic bottles. So I try to do things like this that are bring an awareness but really target to the individual and that would hopefully create an opportunity for them to take action to change the way they behave or the way they use or the way they reuse or not use the plastic. Absolutely. It's a crazy amount, the more you look into it, that there is out there. Like you 
mentioned some of the stuff that you buy socks or something and they've got plastic on them. Everything. Everything has plastic, including you and me. Definitely have plastic in our body because it can be in the water, it can be in the rice, it can be in the salt, in anything, and or in the animal that we are eating. Or, you know. Yeah, plastic is absolutely everywhere. And um, one of my future projects is working with um, bicycle inner tubes. So that will be a black project. And that is made out of plastic now. That it, I mean, it's a byproduct, so it's made out of plastic. There's no other way. That we've grown so much as humans, but we have relied so much on that plastic, which I think is like, gosh, maybe if it's 200 or 700 different types of plastic, like it's something crazy that they've actually created since 1959 when the first plastic was ever created, a form of plastic. So the problem with the tires that I will use is that I'm using the inner tubes because it's easier for me to, to use as a material to cut by hand because I do everything by hand. So it's a representation of the ties and the ties do wear and tear on the roads and they're made out of plastic that are the shells. So the problem is it creates little microplastic that flies on the road, goes in the drain, goes to the ocean and is ingested by animals or go down deep in the sea and create a layer of film. On the bottom of the sea so that's again another problem and then it's eaten by fish and crustaceans and coral as well the problem with plastic is not only that it's a poison but animals cannot extract it from their body so it gets stuck in their in their guts but it's small or big it's the same thing it just doesn't go that's where it's happening more and more and that's why we're having species that are becoming extinct. Is that mainly the ocean animals that are becoming extinct and affected? Not, not only, you also have land animals. Cattle, anything, birds, any living creatures would be affected, I would say. I don't think there is one species that would have eaten. Cattle. Is that more of the sea creatures? I think we're more aware of it. I think we're more aware of the chain reaction that it is doing in the ocean. If you don't have reproduction habitat, which is coral reefs for animals, then that species cannot grow and it cannot reproduce, so we cannot get fish for us to eat. Now, oceans give us 50% of our air and 50% of our food. So that's major. And people only think about it as a swimming place. But if that dies off, then that's a lot. That's We won't be able to breathe, we won't be able to eat uh, or feed the planet as much. And it's already, you know, becoming quite scarce already. You were saying that you're doing the work and people will kind of react to it. How much do you find it's affected people? It's a difficult one to say, isn't it, to, to, to measure. Well, people always say it's nice, you know, what... Or they talk about it and then we, we chat about it. But it's, I don't get negative comments because people are probably scared of saying anything. <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> um, at least I get a reaction. But, you know, that is positive or negative doesn't really matter. They thought about it and that will stay with them in the future to act or not act. Or, or you know, I'm sure it, it affects someone in some way. And is it a, uh, to, to become a big rebellious people or just to just stop straws doesn't matter as long as they are keen on changing themselves what was interesting is i went just come back from the us where i had a collaborative project with an english artist there that lives there in washington 
and we created big curtains of lids. Again, the sun shining through was absolutely beautiful. And people would come in, and it was for the White Night Washington, and they were saying, oh my God, this is beautiful. What is it made of? Because it was hanging. And then they came closer, and again, they realized that. So that was like a thousand bottle lids that we uh, strung together. Again, very simple process of making the artwork. It doesn't have to be complicated to be effective, uh, visually effective. And people wanted the photo taken in front of it. So I suggested that they would do a pledge to stop something that they would consume in plastic. And then I would take their photo and they could put it on their social media and tag us. The interesting thing that people were very scared, absolutely scared. You could feel a certain, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And I'm thinking it's just because they don't think they can change their way. But I realized after a while that in America, kids every morning pledge to be their American country. Like, you know, with the hand of the heart, that they would pledge to look after the country and um, obey to the rules and all this. And so for them to take a pledge to stop using plastic was a massive thing. I mean, I try to do my best, but I still have a bit of plastic around in my house. You know, it's as much as you can do when you go and buy things. And I, I'm getting also better every day. But they just couldn't do a pledge. It was very hard for people to do a pledge to say, I'm not going to use plastic straws. And if you use plastic straws, that's fine by me. But they couldn't say that by 80%, they would cut their straws. And the problem being, uh, being, and you are aware of that, Fred, is that every time someone says, oh, I'll use a straw today, and if there's 8 million people today that are saying, I'll use that straw, plastic straw, that's 8 million more plastic straws in the world. And plastic straws are not recyclable, and it will fly to, to the gutter and will go in the ocean. That is... So true. Something you, like you're saying, you just go, it's an offhand comment, or, you know, it's two seconds of your day as well, you know, you drink that drink and, you know, it's gone. Yeah, I know. It's like when you think in, you go, oh my God. And that's why I try to represent the installation because that, you know, and I try sometimes to give a number, as I said, so it's 360, great awareness mm-hmm. in that sense. And I have been involved in the last five years with the Sustainable Living Festival creating an installation for their great local lunch. A lot of volunteers bring their vegetable and fruit crops and chefs the night before create an amazing spread for 200 people, only done with vegetables and fruit, and it's absolutely exquisite. And it's such a great event to participate in. So we've done many reiteration of an entrance for them, and that's been a fantastic thing to be part of. As an artist, you many do things as a volunteer, but I love the involvement of create that awareness. And that's why now I hardly uh, show in, in galleries, because my main focus is to spread the awareness. And to spread the awareness, an art gallery, unfortunately, smaller gallery, you don't get the people's passage. So if it's in a festival or a big event, then you create that awareness and you can go and you talk to people and, and it's a great conversation Astro, and you can give tips or where they would like to attach themselves to as an organization to, to get help, to promote, to whatever can be done in that sense. And at the moment, in, I don't know if you're aware, but in Melbourne, there's an extension rebellion, which I think is around the world, but there's protests in Melbourne where people are actually disrupting the streets of Melbourne. 
So I'm here today with you, so I'm not doing that, but tomorrow I'm going there. Exactly, I think I'll get new one, I don't know if I will, but <laughs> a, a parade <laughs> with uh, body paint, and it's a bit chilly in Melbourne at the moment, but I will hey. <laughs> support the event. Is that the, the Strike Friday sort of one? That's not the youth climate, the, the youth for climate, sorry, that is uh, called Extension Rebellion. So is that more on plastics and things, or...? It's just everything on, on everything yeah. yeah okay yeah yeah but it's oh, about wow. extension so you know extension of the animals extension of and then us because we are animals i'll have to put that in the show notes and i'll look it up as well if it sounds yes. really interesting yes so there's events all week this week i was in maybe april or march i was there on the parliament steps with them as well and it was a march a peaceful march going from melbourne parliament steps to the exhibition building so it was very peaceful but it's creating a bit of havoc uh, around here, and I know that they're trying to shut it down. So you also do workshops that you mentioned as well. Is that mainly with the younger generation? Yes. I find that people of my generation or after us have been born in the year of plastic, and that's been around them forever. Like I remember mum talking about Tupperware parties, so that was the beginning of the plastic uh, containers. And I remember buying some with her. I wanted this and this and this and that on the catalog. <laughs> I remember saying that. So yeah, the generations nowadays mainly are, were born in the era of plastic. So to counteract that is very hard. So if I thought that if I was going to promote that onto the kids and explain, and the kids are very sensitive and understand it very well, how much it harms the animals. And they take that on board very much. And they will pass it on to their family or when they go shopping, they'll try to be a bit more careful and point out a few things. Uh, I have a, a little girl and I think her father has a restaurant. So she was going to the restaurant and pointing out, and she was five, pointing out to the grandfather what not to use and how to replace. And I find that absolutely fabulous that the generation of your future is going to teach the older generation how to behave or how to reassess what they can get rid of, not use in their daily lives. And I find that a fantastic conduit to creating awareness. So what I do is I've created my own art and sustainability workshops, and I go and speak to the kids about what I did and how I came to it, and photos of the plastic I've started picking up, and then some of the effects, the roll-on effects that, that creates and affect the world, and then we create an art piece. So at the moment, I have an amazing project for so they asked me to come back and we are doing the Great Wave, you know, the big blue and white wave by Hokusai, the Japanese artist that created that wave about 200 years ago. Oh, uh, yes. So actually, the, the original is not that big, but people have been represented. Uh, it's oh, very, really? Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's, it's very small. So I'm doing the great wave of plastic with the kids. Now we explain that, you know, what's in the ocean, what's coming to the, to the shores. And that's where we pick up the plastic. So we're creating that huge wave in blue and white plastic where little kids are just cutting little piece of plastic, gluing it on. So I should send you a photo when it's finished. <laughs> oh, definitely. Do you do like some that are day projects and then it sounds like a Absolutely. lot longer? Yes, yeah. No, I do. Uh, I come for a couple of hours. So they do also their individual projects, which usually ends up uh, looking like a marine animal and that's been affected by the plastic. 
Rooster, then you can take home. And uh, made out of all um, plastic that I've picked up around. And, and I try to encourage the schools before I come to empower the kids to ask them to bring the plastic. A lot of times the parents, but I'm sure they've spoken about it and reminding their parents to bring some so they could make art. So they bring whatever, as I said, packaging uh, has been used at home. And uh, we use that to create you know, a fish, a jellyfish, a crab, a turtle, you know, you can name it. Yeah, yeah, which is very sweet. We love it. Yeah, even just asking them to bring in those plastic containers and stuff, that just brings awareness that in itself, you know. Yes, yes. And then I also try to take them for a little walk, even if it's just a courtyard and there's so much plastic there. There's always is. So it is easy to show that. And then when I see them again, I say, so have you picked up any plastic in, you know, the landscape or... And uh, in the environment, oh, yes, I've picked up plastic and I put it in my car because I saw so many of it. <laughs> so oh, that's it, amazing. It was a great response. And uh, I just had uh, some feedback from a school and a little girl went to Bali and she was just couldn't believe the amount of plastic on the beach. On the beaches that are not cleaned before the tourists come in front of the resorts. If you go a bit further, then you find um, this sea of plastic. Like the same as in Melbourne. There is a truck coming every day to be clean the beach. Are you aware of that? I don't think so, <laughs> but I'm not surprised. <laughs> it used to be maybe once or twice a week, and now it's like every day before people come up. Crazy. I have to agree definitely on that like younger generation, the, especially the kids, how they can influence everything and how much they're aware of it. You can see that in the, I guess, the greater movement, especially at the moment. Absolutely, yeah, which is fantastic. And... Uh, I mean, to have a, a young girl talking for that generation is absolutely fabulous. Whoever is behind doesn't matter. It matters if she is a symbol of the youth, of their world, because we'll be gone by then, or our world, maybe not you, Fred, but our will be gone uh, before the, the world, this world is going to be worse. So it is absolutely fantastic. And I was in San Francisco, and I went to one of the walks, that Friday walk, uh, just before I got on the plane, I just made sure I went and joined the San Francisco youth. I also have had the pleasure to be induced as a leader with Climate Reality Project, which is Al Gore Project, uh, ex-Vice President of America. He came and induced 800 people in Brisbane at the beginning of June, just to create, again, get more awareness and everybody was interested. Some were working with climate change and some were just individuals that were absolutely and totally into the getting more knowledge about it. So I've been doing it for 10 years, so I had quite a bit already, but it was still an amazing journey to do that three-day conference uh, in Brisbane with him. Definitely. That sounds incredible. Yes, it was. You're talking about the reusable plastics as well. What sort of alternatives when you're looking at those? Not Tupperware, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually against them all because even if it's made supposedly of cornstarch, they had to have something that binds a product and especially if you can wash it, for example. What do you think there is in it? There must be something that is not... Look, I'm not a, you know, a scientist, but there's definitely something that binds it. So I try not to use any. Or if I have, I reuse it, but I reuse it in my art. I won't specially reuse it in my kitchen. So I ditch all my plastic things in the kitchen. The only thing I really use mainly are the glass uh, bottom jar. They have a plastic lid, but as long as your food 
doesn't touch the plastic lid, I think that's a, for me, it's a better thing. The same with the tip top. I even ditched the tip tops plastic. I just use the metal because metal is, uh, you can reuse, you can melt and reuse forever. So is glass. But plastic is one of the materials that you can only recycle once or twice. And even if it is actually recycled, a lot of it still goes to landfill or is burnt. And one of the reasons is because we don't have facilities in Australia to do so. And we had plenty of warning and plenty of time to create recycling facilities, which hasn't been made. In a way, you think, well, okay, they haven't created it, so maybe now we will not need it. But we still have all this plastic on Earth. Uh, what's the, I don't know what is the solution. And it doesn't look like they're stopping quickly either. It's like the climate crisis sort of stuff. We know that it's happening, but people aren't really doing much yet. It's just small things, unfortunately. And I think even though us as you know individuals we can adopt those little things but really needs to be adopted the end as well obviously yeah i know the steps are very small and we need to certainly think bigger bigger picture uh humans are very good at inventing things but we are not very good at preempting what is going to happen with our clever innovations and that's what's been happening all around for many hundreds of years and progress is actually not always progress, is it? Just right now, we are regressing. Definitely. Is there any other steps you'd recommend for people to take? Obviously, we've got the straws and containers and things. Yes, yes, all these. Uh, trying not to use is a very big thing. Dispose of it properly, if you do. Don't mix your rubbish bins with other things. One of the big things that's been proven here is that probably 60% of your rubbish in your normal bin is actually green organic material, like for compost. So to have a compost bin at home, even small, makes a lot of difference in garbage pickup. And I think here actually in Port Phillip, they're going to now do pickup every two weeks only. So it means that people will have to do something about the organic greens. And I think the organic green will be picked up every week if there is a new bin coming. But otherwise, it's amazing. I have it at home. and. We don't put it hardly anything in the, in the bin. Like it really, all whatever is organic goes in the worm farm and goes in in the garden. I know certain areas like where my parents live in Port Melbourne, they've got local compost as well and yeah. facilities to bring your compost. Yeah, this is fantastic. But when you think, you know, years ago, I was uh, my mother uh, lives in an apartment block. I mean, that's 140 apartments or so. How many people is that? How much organic waste is actually produced daily? Is They could have rooftop gardens and do the mulch, you know, and, and just do the compost. Every apartment block should have that because picking up the compost, well, that's another, you know, using fuel and using trucks and using... So if we did that, that's just like if every building could become nearly energy sufficient in some, in some form, Maybe not efficient, but help out. So you've got your green waste, you've got your solar, you've got your solar hot water as well, and not only heating, but hot water. And that would be amazing. You know, already that would uh, save a lot. And have reflectors on the roof for gas emission, carbon. Yeah, that'd be already some things like that. You know, glass that's reflective, etc., etc. I mean, it is. We know a lot of things, but we are not putting them in place. Definitely. 
one of I the feel things like hopefully we'll get, be getting there slowly now. It's still slowly, and you know, your your children, grandchildren, will the generations, the, the future will have children. It's just crazy. I mean, anyway, there's too many people on the earth, so that's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you feel terrible as a parent to have we have brought up two girls, and you think, well, what's going to happen to them? Yeah, what's going to? Will they want children? Yeah, just for that, simply for that, the future. Yeah, and I heard another podcast, someone was saying how ways to help the world is like, you know, educate, reproducing or something else. I can't remember what it was. But I was sitting there going, reproducing is not really helping the planet at this stage, you know. No, <laughs> but, as not. you said, we're overpopulating and... I mean, it seems terrible, but we need, well, we need another big sickness to come and help. I don't know, it seems maybe controversial, but it is not a bad... That this is what's happened before as well and I think those things happen for a reason wars sickness all that is part of the balancing act of for the earth somehow I think that's where part of you know the latest Avengers sort of stuff with Thanos who got rid of half of the population without um, judgment you know they're going against him but it's like well yeah, I get it but you know he's also trying to save the world exactly it was interesting I went to a, an exhibition a while ago. It was kind of a theatre exhibition and you had to choose as the audience which you would go to. And there was three solutions to the world of your future. And I can't quite remember, Fred, but I think it was like, would you save the people? Would you save the island, these three people? Or would you save the animals? You know, it was something like that. And you had to choose where you were going to put your vote in. And I think the one that won the most votes was the island with the animals. I was thinking about that. Yeah, exactly. And we were humans voting. You know, do you want to save all those people on the island or do you want to not? No, I would would go the same as you. We're the most uh, destructive thing on this earth, you know. So that's why I'm coming back to sicknesses or wars or tsunamis or, you know, things like that. And I think this is coming up more often now, so we've kind of changed. So this will happen. Yeah, definitely. I think that's part of, you know, people saying that climate change, it's not a thing because Earth goes up and down with the stuff. I obviously don't believe that. (laughs) But I get where they're coming from as well, where it does do that ice age and stuff. It does the peaks. Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and probably also, you know, when you get a flu, you get really hot and you try and you know, get rid of stuff. Yes. Hopefully, yes. maybe at least it could do that and calm down after that. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Well, I like <laughs> no science behind there, but <laughs> best would be just solving it, but, you know. It is, yeah, yeah exactly. But that's where we need everybody involved at the can and, and you know, even, as I said, small steps. If anybody did something about it, in whatever the capacity is, which is just maybe a daily life, um, just what you use at home, but in in thinking bigger and helping out organisation to implement things that will um, help towards a better environment is certainly what we really need to concentrate on now. Definitely. Well, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having do you have any other projects coming up? You said the the bicycle one. Yes, that's hopefully next year and hopefully in the US. 
If not, I will do it here. But um, the project that's on now, opening this Sunday, is the Yuring Station Sculpture Art Prize. So I have a sculpture in there uh, out of metal and colour, funny enough. Oh, wow. <laughs> How long's that one on for? It's on until early December, I think. Okay, cool. So it should be on by the time I get this out. <laughs> I think it should be on. It's opening this yeah. time. Amazing. Well, we'll put the details of that in. Thank you. Um, where else could people find you if they want to look you up and follow all your work? Sure. They can find us on Instagram at Caroline Cardinet, C-A-R-D-I-N-E-T, or on my website, www.carolinecardinet.com and you probably can just look up my name things will come up hopefully <laughs> yep and I'll put it all in the show notes as well anyway perfect that is fantastic so thank you so much for this thank you it was a pleasure I hope you guys enjoyed that episode I'd love to hear how you guys look at changing the world whether it's through plastic helping people out that are in need, like we had on the episode about clothing, not buying firsthand. What sort of tricks and little bits of tips would you recommend? Shoot me on Facebook Messenger. If you have some great idea or person that's doing something like that, let me know. I'd love to get them on. All right, guys, until next time, remember, stay curious.